It's spring and you want to hike, bike, hit up the farmer's market, but the last thing you want to do on a warm, sunny morning is clean house. That's where Greenland Pro Cleaning comes in. They're eco-friendly, allergy-friendly, and locally owned in Asheville. Listeners of The Overlook get a free upholstery and refrigerator cleaning upgrade with their first booking. Just use the code PODCAST at checkout. Make the most of your time this spring and visit GreenlandProCleaning.com slash overlook. Imagine, you're a classical music composer about to premiere your final symphony. Behind the scenes, your family and a stranger are about to throw everything into disarray. Welcome to A God in the Waters, the latest play by the venerable Asheville writer David Brendan Hopes. Look for a lot of laughs, but also a deeper reflection on the making of art and its impact on the people closest to the genius at work. The Sublime Theater presents A God in the Waters, May 9th through 18th at the BB Theater in downtown Asheville. For tickets and details, go to thesublimetheater.org. I am a maker, a builder, a baker, although sometimes my messes are all that you'll find. I'll tell a story, both true and allegorial. The process is precious, so it takes up all my time. The North Carolina primary election is March 5th, and early voting is already underway. But the Republican supermajority in the state legislature has passed laws making voting more difficult. Poor people are the ones they want to target because poor people want relief, and they will vote for that. This is The Overlook with Matt Pikin, a podcast about the news, arts, issues, and trends of Asheville, North Carolina. My guests today are Robin Lively Summers of Indivisible Asheville and Leslie Boyd of the Poor People's Campaign. They're part of a coalition of nonprofits working to educate and engage prospective voters in Western North Carolina. Others working in this effort are the YMCA of Asheville, Just Economics, and Asheville Food and Beverage United. We'll talk about their work on the ground, overcome challenges presented by new restrictive voting laws and how they're working to encourage seemingly low incentive voters out to the polls. I began our conversation by asking how a handful of nonprofits with differing priorities came together for this shared vision around voter outreach. Robin Lively Summers is first to get into the details. We have something in common. And we have a party. We yeah, had, that helps. You yeah. know, you have a few sodas, maybe some beer. We organized knows. a celebration of our work so far, and we invited people who were Leslie and the RJC yeah, and Just well. Economics. Thank you, the Green Alliance. We invited all of them to participate in this celebration, and it came out from there that we said we should all work together because we have a common goal, and that's to get out the vote and target these progressive, left-leaning, maybe, but non-high propensity voters. We need everybody engaged. You just said a a description. These aren't high propensity voters. Tell me what is prohibiting or what inhibits? What seems to blunt? There's lots of reasons. Talk about that. You feel powerless when you're poor. You're exhausted. You're powerless. You take on one more thing. Oh, my God, I got to learn who's on the ballot and vote. And I just don't. I'm so tired. I work three jobs. People who are poor 
really need help in getting registered and getting to the polls and understanding the issues. I know what their lives are like. I've lived in poverty when my kids were little. I wouldn't wish it on anyone. And we're not going to get out of it without the ballot box. And so people who feel defeated, like they just don't have the energy to learn about all of this and vote, uh, those are the votes we need. And our legislature has actively worked to make voting more complex, more challenging. And so it takes that much more effort on all of our parts to uh, ensure that people have access to the information. They have access to where do they go to vote? What are these new laws about voter ID? What's involved with an absentee ballot now? All of those challenges, we have to not only get that information out there, but then also provide the supports. Do you need a copy of your ID? We have little handheld copy machines so that if somebody needs that, we can provide that for them. You mentioned some of the things the legislature has done to restrict. Go into detail about some of these things. Now, the other side would argue we are trying to make elections more secure. We need to secure the vote and make sure everybody who is eligible to vote is just voting once. They're trying to fix a problem that doesn't exist. And they say it exists, but there's never been any proof that it exists. And what they want to do is have fewer people voting. They want to choose their voters. They're gerrymandered to the max. And when they did it before and it was taken to federal court, the courts made them redraw the boundaries. It took them four court orders before they would redraw the boundaries. And even then, let's be clear about this. It's they, very they, gerrymandered. They kind of ran out the clock, didn't they? So they, even yeah. though the Supreme Court at the time, the North Carolina State Supreme Court, ruled that you have to redraw your lines, eventually the clock ran out and they yeah. had to use the existing maps. And that was part of the strategy also right. of the legislature. And they also send out letters. And if the letters come back, they just purge the voter. Let's talk about how do you believe that the efforts at the legislature are systemic in terms of blunting the vote, of limiting the vote. But using the basis of this argument that we're trying to make voting safer, they're targeting specific actions that are focused mainly on people that would vote against the legislature's big party, which is the Republicans. So the poor people, students, people who tend to vote Democratic are the people that are immediately impacted by these bills that they are ramming through the legislature. Poor people are the ones they want to target because poor people want relief and they will vote for that. They will vote for a higher minimum wage. They will vote for things that will make their lives better, things that we should have, health care, better education. And the loss of the community newspaper has made it that much harder for people to learn about the candidates. You have to go out of your way. And if you're working two or three jobs and you've got two kids at home and your bills are still overwhelming you, you are not going to reach out and look for the information, you're going to fall into bed at the end of the day because you're only going to get five or six hours sleep and then it's back to work. Is that person also very reluctant to vote? Because you're talking about all the things going on in their lives. You you, you talked about how they're not a high propensity voter as it is. You mentioned gerrymandering. We didn't even talk about restricting or limiting early voting access, uh, drop-off locations for uh, mail-in ballots. The list goes on. But what are the challenges you face, you and your colleague organizations face, in terms of encouraging people who, whether it's poor people, racial minorities, others who tend to be low voter turnout, how do we encourage them to vote? 
The big thing is to try and reach out to leaders within those communities. One of the things that we are focusing on is a Latin Hispanic outreach. We have a, a woman who is very active in her African American community, getting people to vote, supporting people who have to do absentee voting. We need to be involved with those communities as a partner, not as a savior, but as a partner. So we need to go in there and say, we want to help you. What do you need? And then listen to what they say and then help try to use our resources to supply that assistance. And meeting people face to face. One thing I learned as United Way captain where I used to work is if you don't ask, you're not going to get a yes. But if you ask you're much more likely to get a yes. So knocking on doors, going to events, and having tables there with information, this is what we have to do. We have to really work to reach out. You mentioned a a scenario a little while ago, Leslie, that you're working two jobs, you have a couple kids, you come home and collapse. You may not even be able to make time to vote or set aside time. You don't think you can. What are some of the psychological hurdles? Also, I imagine... People just think, what is my vote going to make a difference? It's so easy to be cynical these days about where our government is. a lot of the media are pushing that cynicism. So how do you and your colleagues, how do you leapfrog these efforts by big media, others that have a lot of money? Your organizations don't have a lot of money. There's a lot of research, there's new research out there that says that low-income, poor people are actually way more central than this bipartisan dichotomy that we've been fed. They really are just looking for somebody that is going to protect them or give them something, which is why Trump is appealing to them, because he says he's going to do for them. But they hear that, and that's what they believe. So for us, what our goals are is to ask and do that deep dive. What are your concerns? What would make your life better? And then be able to provide information as this is what the candidates say, and this is their records. A little while ago, you mentioned that your colleague organizations tend to come from a progressive standpoint. This Mm -hmm. is just getting prospective voters to vote. That's That's a nonpartisan thing, right? right? Well, we are nonpartisan. Yeah, we are too. There's politics and there's partisanship. We talk policy. That's the thing. It's the policies that are important. The third reconstruction comes from changes in policy, a wage that will if you work 40 hours, give you a livable life. So you're trying to reach people about where they are in terms of the the issues they care about. Do you find a disconnect that people don't understand that the challenges in their lived lives can be affected by electoral politics? Is there a disconnect there? I find that when you say to people, you know, the, the conversation goes a little like this. I don't vote. Why not? Because it ain't going to make a difference. It is going to make a difference because nothing is solved until we get people in office who are willing to solve these problems. Now, when Tim Moffat was my representative in Raleigh, I did a lot of door-to-door when Brian Turner ran against him. And I ran into poor people and Republicans and all kinds of people who just couldn't stand him because he was arrogant. And so when I said, don't not vote, he has an opponent— They would say, give me information about his opponent. And Tim Moffat lost that election. And that was because we were on the streets, knocking on doors, talking to people about the issues. 
not about Tim Moffat, but about the issues. Are you finding that many of the people you're approaching are not even registered or are they lapsed voters? So our 2020 campaign during the height of COVID, we reached 4,400 people. And I would say we probably registered 20 we didn't find people weren't registered, or at least they thought they were. A couple of times we would look them up and see that, was this your address? It's no, I've moved. Well, you need to go update your registration. That may have been maybe too. 10% of the time, but most people are registered. And the question ask. is whether or not they're actually going and voting. Yeah. And especially the midterms and those down ballots. For example, this last midterm election, the Democrats lost the Supreme Court by 400 votes, 4,000 people in Buncombe County alone did not vote in that election. Right. And these are numbers that Reverend Barber touts all the time, too. If we get poor and low wealth voters to the polls, we won't lose. The Poor People's Campaign nationally has done a lot of studying on this. And when they went to Kentucky before Governor Brashear was elected, they went to eastern Kentucky, the really poor part of the state, and they held rallies and they registered voters, and Brashear squeaked through and won. And that's because poor people don't expect anybody to pay attention to them. They don't feel like they matter. Let's be clear about this, too. A lot of people running for office, including Democrats Mm -hmm. aren't very good about articulating and emphasizing how their policies will help people on the margin. Because people in poverty don't matter to policymakers. It's true. They don't have the money to help them get reelected. It's like trying to get kids support. They can't vote for you, so they don't matter. So I would think people don't matter to them. So while your efforts to the voter outreach effort, I think in some ways has to be connected to what potential policymakers are saying. Because if the voters or prospective voters are not hearing candidates talk about issues that matter to them, it's only you telling them that it matters. If they're not hearing this from the candidates, I would think that needs to be a co-joined effort. Yeah. We're not allowed to work with candidates if we're going to maintain our our C3404 um, status. But one thing that we do as we get closer to elections is we vet candidates. So if they have not been in office, we will screen their policies. Well, what are you standing for? What are you saying? And we can disseminate that information. If they have been in office, we compare what they're saying with what their record is. So they'll say, oh yeah, we support a woman's right to um, to choose. And we think that abortion should be legal in certain situations. Yeah. What you voted for this and this, which took away access. So you know, we're willing to look at a candidate regardless of their party affiliation and say, this is what you've done in the past. And that's why the primaries are so important, because an incumbent could be saying all the right things, but that doesn't mean that's how they voted. More after this. When you go to an Asheville City soccer club game, you're not just watching soccer, you're welcomed into what players and fans call the South Slope Blues. The South Slope Blues, they're amazing. This is the coach of the women's team, Brooke Bingham. The atmosphere is what makes Asheville City soccer so great. Longtime player Laura Greb. 
We have the most dedicated fans. We have our South Slope Blues. They post up in the corner of the field every game. They've got their drums. They've got their smoke. They've got their loud voices. You can hear them for miles. Elite men and women players from throughout North Carolina team up in Asheville for a two-month season against other aspiring pros from all over the Southeast. Home games this season begin May 18th at Greenwood Field on the UNC Asheville campus. For details, tickets, and your first steps into the South Slope Blues, visit Asheville City Soccer Club at AshevilleCitySC.com. I want to bring up something that dials back a few minutes to something you mentioned about when people vote or haven't voted. They might be registered but haven't voted. Wasn't there an effort at the legislature yep. to purge people from the roles After of voters? one if they missed m- election. Exactly. If they haven't voted in one election, they get wiped off the rolls. Right. Mm-hmm. That's another way to get rid of voters, to make college students go home to vote. That was another thing they wanted to do. And you just have to fight them and fight them. And the Poor People's Campaign did. That was our lawsuit that went all the way to the federal courts. And with people saying, well, if you haven't voted, then you don't deserve to vote. And last election, It was 2022. They had just passed legislation that allowed people who'd been convicted of felonies and served their time to vote again. So we sat up outside the courthouse, and as people came by, we said, are you registered to vote at your current address? Most Most of these people who had felonies on their record did not know that this law had been passed. I registered alone more than 20 voters in less than a week. And that was just among people coming out of the courthouse. The fact that you stood in front of a courthouse for people coming out of having a felony on their record and registered them, that that shows a lot of dedication. 20 voters doesn't seem like much. It, It could be enough. It, when you how combine many, it with how other many down efforts. ballot races are won or lost by four, five, six votes? It happens way more often than people realize, and that's why it is so important for people to have access to the information so that they can feel confident going in and voting all the way down their ballots. Because the local stuff, what's happening in Asheville, it's what you're looking to affect my life immediately. What's happening on the federal level might come tax season or something like that. But really, that doesn't affect me. I didn't get a benefit from the last ta- tax cut. I'm not part of that group. Yeah. But what happens for the infrastructure bills that they're putting through and the housing that and they're doing? That- so t- let's talk about the efforts, the, the specific things that your initiative is doing. Talk about what you're doing on the ground. Okay, so we have three areas that we are focusing on. We have our canvassing group, which will go door to door, providing voting information. Helping to get yeah, IDs, that kind right, of stuff. All about, it's all about voting, getting people out to vote. What do they need? We'll be asking what are the issues that we want so that when we go to vet candidates, we have those questions that are being told to us. Mm. This is what people are worried about. How are you going to address this? All the new voting restrictions as far as ID and where can you vote, when can you vote, that's what we're going to be focusing on in our canvases. We have our tabling group, which will be going to different locations in Buncombe, Madison, Henderson, and possibly Haywood County, offering voter registration information, new photo IDs, and also the absentee voting information, which is so important because so many people were using that 
programmed that option during COVID, and now they've made it so that we are really encouraging voters to please don't use the absentee ballot unless it's absolutely necessary because there's just so many rules and restrictions that it's so much easier. We also have our Latino Hispanic outreach group, which is focusing on going into that community and uh, in a safe and respectful way. And the other thing that I was going to mention is there is a very good voter guide that's put out by Children First. The League League of Women Voters. They put out a good free copy. Robin, I think I interrupted you when you were going through the the specific changes in voting laws that you're now having to educate people about and help them over. Um, Continue. I'm sorry. No, that's okay. So most people have heard about the voter ID, that you have to have an ID when you go to vote. They have limited the number of places that we can go to vote. While North Carolina still is allowing for same-day registration during early voting, which is a great... So if you're not sure about your voter registration, go to early voting. You can go to any branch and register the same day that you put in your vote. That's a great thing, but you have to have an ID. The list is pretty extensive, but it's very leaning towards a certain demographic. So like you can have a gun license, but your college ID won't work. It's that way. And that that was addressed last time, and all that got overturned. Overturned. Yes, because as soon as they got the Supreme Court, they went back and relitigated all of these laws that had been. They just overturned everything, yeah. And then the absentee ballot is very complicated. It has to be notarized, of which we will have notary team so that when we go out, we'll be able to provide that for people. There has to be a copy of your photo ID included. There is an external envelope, an internal envelope. There's extra signatures that you have to make sure you sign both envelopes. It's really complicated. And they made it that way on purpose. Right, on purpose. And it has to arrive by election, election day. day. Yeah, there's no right. grace it has period. To be, so if you're not sure about the post office, you got to remember that anything that's mailed within Asheville goes to Greenville, South Carolina before it comes back here. Yeah, so to be clear that it used to be if you're postmarked. Yeah. Now no, no, it no. has to arrive. And now it has, it has to, to be yeah. right. gonna... So you mentioned the canvassing that you're doing. Are there other things that this coalition is doing in the way of voter outreach and voter education? Right now, we're just trying to get out the vote. That's our main focus. As we get closer to the general election, we probably will be looking at candidate vetting. Let me ask, is this tied into any statewide efforts? Are the things you're doing here in Buncombe County or in Asheville specific, is it external? Are there other networks that you're tying into? We are loosely affiliated with uh, Indivisible North Carolina, which is part of Indivisible National. We uh, have access to their toolkits, resources, fundraising, that kind of stuff. Same with we us. Do, we do connect with them and let them know what we are doing, and they are very supportive of our efforts so that like I said, language, access to our van, which is a canvassing tool, all of those things come through those other sources. And we've got the same kind of state and national network that, for example, we're going to be holding a rally on March 2nd, and it's all leading up to getting out the vote. So we're going to hold this rally in Raleigh on March 2nd, and we're hoping for thousands and thousands of people. Obviously, you're taking language and other strategies Mm -hmm. from the statewide and national 
organizations. Are there conditions on the ground here that are unique or different? How you're tailoring what you're doing here? Is it specific to Asheville and the challenges of reaching people in Asheville and Buncombe County that maybe other areas don't have quite as much? Asheville is unique. I always say we're the blueberry in the tomato soup. Like I always that. say we're the hopeful blue pupil in the angry red eye uh, of uh, conservatism. <laughs> I like yours better. So for us, we have a contingency of very progressive people in this very concentrated area. And, and then, but around us, it's very conservative, Republican leaning. So we have that dynamic of making sure that we're getting out and letting the people know that our, maybe our progressive little farther afield, that they're not alone and that they are, their vote does matter. And please, just because all your neighbors have Confederate flags out, doesn't mean that your vote isn't going to be even more important. We're not uh, unique in the United States, while we may be the only in North Carolina, there are other places out there that have little bastions of Madison, Wisconsin comes to mind. Yeah, right, at Austin, Texas. Yeah. So there are places that are similar, and there is a coalition within National, it's the Rural Caucus, where we talk about things that are specific to our area, and we bring that to what do we need to do as a coalition that is best going to support our voters here in Western North Carolina. Is there anything we haven't talked about around this initiative, around your strategies or challenges you're facing that you think is important for people to understand and know? One thing that I'd like to bring up is why are we nonpartisan and why is it nonpartisan? Why aren't we just targeting Democrats or progressive? And I really want to point out that nonpartisan voter outreach offers opportunities for people to have common ground so that it's about understanding truly what is important to these non-participating voters. What matters to you? What's going to make your life better? What policies? Because those people who are not voting matter. They're Americans and they should have their needs met. And there's more commonality than there is diversion. One of the things I've heard just in the vapors, because I don't read conservative media, But one of the things I hear is that the efforts to get more people to vote in itself, it's demonized. They're afraid of it. They're They're afraid of it. That the very notion of helping people, assisting people to vote, educating them to vote somehow is anathema to American values, that this is cheating. This is not about Democrat or Republican, and it's not about right or left. It's about right and wrong. It's about immorality versus morality. If we are doing this nonpartisan voter outreach, it's proven to change policy. For sporadic voters who are often felt like they're left out when they are empowered, engaged, and, and educated, then they vote for the people that are going to put the policies that they need, especially That's who defeated Trump. Those are the very people who defeated Donald Trump. They knew that this was an important election. They heard that message and they came out and voted. The, the voting right. tallies were amazing. Right. So and we so just have that, to do that again. We have to get the disenfranchised back into the fray. And the only way we can do that is to go and tell them your vote does matter. Here's how you can do it. It's not impossible. It's possible. And we're here to help you. What do you need? And regardless of what side of the aisle, if you say, this is the person that's going to protect your social security, this is the person that's moving to have universal health care, this is the person that took away uh, and cut the school lunch program, this is the person that took away and cut your access to the ballot box, 
who do you want to vote for? Go let us know. Go do it. Don't even tell me. Just go do it. I've had many people say to me when I'm registering them to vote, one guy said to me, I guess it was last time, I'm going to vote for Trump. And I said, that's your right. And it's beyond a right. Voting really is an obligation if you want to live in a democracy. A lot of people don't look at it as an obligation. We, we have more people who don't vote in this country than do vote. And it's like, oh, I, I'm already registered. Let's check you. Oh, you're actually not registered anymore. They kicked you off. Oh, I think I want to register. Here you go. You and know, it takes a lot of people doing that. Is always, are you registered to vote at your, your current address? address? Because if you moved since you last voted... You're going to get kicked off the rolls. You need to be registered at your current address. If you value the Overlook's place in Asheville's media landscape, please consider joining dozens of others who are supporting the show through my Patreon crowdfunding page. Become a member for as little as $5 a month. Visit patreon.com slash theoverlookpodcast. Our First Look newsletter gives you just a handful of daily headlines from around the local media landscape to get you on your morning. We also have a weekly newsletter devoted to all things The Overlook that hits you every Friday. Both are free and available at podavl.com newsletter. I want to thank my guests today, Robin Lively Summers of Indivisible Asheville and Leslie Boyd of the Poor People's Campaign of Western North Carolina. Our conversation took place at the BB Theater in downtown Asheville, which is available to me due to the largesse of Susan and Giles Collard of Asheville Contemporary Dance Theater. The theme song for The Overlook, Maker's Song, comes to us courtesy of the Asheville duo The Resonant Rogues. The Overlook is a production of Podcast Asheville. New episodes come out every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us on any social media channel at AVL Overlook. And I'll see you on the next episode of The Overlook with Matt Pikin. Hey everyone, Matt Pikin here from The Overlook, and I'll get back to my conversation in just a moment. But I'm asking you, the listener, yes, you, listening this very moment, is The Overlook making a difference in your connection to Asheville? Do you know more about what makes this city tick and where we're struggling? If you had to give up one cup of coffee every month to do your part to keep this show going, would you step up? If you answered yes to any of that, and I really hope you did, please join dozens of other listeners by supporting The Overlook with Matt Pikin through my Patreon campaign by giving just $5 a month. Give it higher levels and you'll earn free tickets to my live podcasting events. Your support means the world to me and helps keep this show free for anyone to hear. Go to patreon.com slash the overlook podcast.